Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 243. All right, so I only recorded one episode while I was in Iceland, but I made a number of connections in the hopes to do some things remotely when I'm home. I don't love doing episodes remotely. I much prefer to do them in the place that I'm in, but sometimes it's a necessity, such as this time. So we were in Stikishomer, and somebody had said to us, you should take the ferry over to Flate. Now, I've said this name wrong many times. I walked around for days calling it Flady, uh, but I believe the correct pronunciation is Flate. This is an island that you hit on the way to the West Fjords. So the peninsula we were on runs parallel to the West Fjords and Flate's in the middle. There are a bunch of tiny islands that you pass. A couple of them have one house on it, which is utterly fascinating. It's about as remote as you can get. And the waters around there are freezing. The boat you take there, if you stay outside, is freezing. It's about uh, an hour and a half, maybe, to get to the island. And it's not the cheapest thing. I will say that Iceland is not super cheap for backpackers, but you know this going in. And this trip is worth it. We didn't know much about the island. We knew that it was tiny, just about two kilometers. We had heard that only two families live there in the winter and more families live there in the summer months, which is true. So we get there and we found what I think is the oldest library in Iceland. I might be incorrect about that, but it's really cool. This old, brightly colored uh, library house. And it seems like a fishing village. There are boats, obviously. There are the brightly colored homes. There are free roaming sheep. There are kids pushing each other in wheelbarrows. There are those crazy birds that dive bomb you if they think that you're coming over to snatch their babies. And then there's a hotel there. It's the only business of sorts. There's no stores or cafes. There's nowhere to go. There's the hotel, which is attached to a restaurant. We weren't there for very long. I think you get like two or three hours when you get off the boat. Yeah, somewhere in between there, maybe closer to three. And so we walked to the island and it's beautiful. It's serene. It's isolated. It's calm. And we thought, oh, we'll go into the restaurant, maybe get a coffee. And so we did. We went to the restaurant, got a coffee, and then we saw the menu. And there's mussels on there, and there's lamb. And it, okay, this looks awesome. And so we ordered food. The people that work there obviously know the ferry schedule. They're like, you have an hour. And so we ate there, and we had an absolutely incredible meal. The presentation was beautiful. We were looking at it. We were like, this is an art piece. It was delicious, but it wasn't anything like super crazy. It was seafood, mussels, but done so well. And so I researched it a bit after that, and I had learned that there is a chef there who was doing this, who has a really interesting story. And I wish I had brought my recording equipment to the island with me, but I wasn't expecting to find somebody so cool. So I linked up with him once I got home, and he was like, yeah, sure. So just minutes ago, I just signed off with him, and we recorded a conversation. His name is Fridgir Helgesen, and he's a fascinating guy. So I'm going to let this conversation stand alone, and that will tell you about him. I won't do that in this intro. But if you go to the notes or the description for this conversation in the player that you're listening to it in, you will find links to his work. Because in addition to a chef, he is a photographer and artist and an all-around fascinating guy with a really interesting history. Okay, so there will also be a link to my Patreon account in the description for this episode. That is patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. And that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly and get cool things like stickers and shirts and postcards from places like Iceland. If you're curious about how to get to Flate or 
what to do in Stikishomer or what to do in Iceland, you can always reach out to me. I don't love doing how-tos. I've um, been writing a bit more again, and I'm just I'm not really interested in the how-to stuff. I'm not really interested in the 10 best places in Reykjavik, that kind of writing. I like more narrative-style stuff. But if you're curious about how to get there, where to go to catch the ferry, shoot me a, a DM on whatever social media platform you frequent, and I'll let you know. I'll tell you how I did it. All right, but for now, enjoy this conversation with Fridgir Helgesen. All right, cool. Well, listen, thank you for doing this. I don't mean this to sound disrespectful, but like I had not expected to have such a pleasant experience on Flady when... I arrived there. I mean, I'll get into it a bit, but there there are no stores. There really aren't like choices if you're going to be eating. And so we thought, okay, before we hop on the boat to go back to uh, Sticky Shulmer, we'll check out the restaurant. And we were just like absolutely blown away. Um, and then I looked you up and you, you have quite an interesting story. So it's uh, it's quite a pleasure to, to be talking to you. So thank you. So uh, were you staying at the hotel or... No, we just took the boat over for the day. Somebody had said you oh. should check out the island, so we checked it out, and uh, yeah. Oh, just so you were probably just staying for like two hours, huh? Yeah, it was really quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, the uh, point of Flate is kind of uh, you come you come here to do nothing. That's kind of like the point. Yeah, I was thinking that if you were writing a book, it would be a great place to write a book because there's no distractions there uh, actually back in the day uh it, it used to be actually uh, uh quite quite a writer's retreat so uh yeah ah okay yeah that, that, that's like in the 80s you know back before they fixed everything up pretty much yeah oh that makes a lot of sense and i had heard that there are like really only two families that stay there in the winter months is that true yeah, there are uh, two farms on Flat Day that uh, uh, are occupied year-round, uh, two farm families. And uh, this being uh, uh, Iceland, of course, the two farmers that live on the island have not spoken to each other for like 40 years. Whoa. Is there like a rivalry or something? Uh, yeah, it's like, you know... Uh, like they had a disagreement or something and, and you know one guy fucked the other guy and then the other guy fucked over the other guy and 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 uh and they just they they, they never speak to each other and it's funny because they always are both at the harbor when the uh, when the boat comes in but they will never speak to each other it's just, you know they're men of principle i guess yes yeah, so, something i've found in my travels is that there is definitely an island culture and if you say yeah. island culture, people usually think of like warm weather places. Think if I said climate culture, they would probably think like, oh, very relaxed and chilled out. And that's often true of places with beaches. But when I say island culture, I usually mean that like most people know each other. Uh, gossip mm -hmm. can get around. And I even experienced with the podcast in Iceland that a lot of people were kind of wary to talk to me. So in a way, it felt like it had that island culture of almost like it's a country and it's an island, but it almost had like a small town feel to it, if that makes sense. It does. It, well, it, it does have a small town feel to it, of course. It, it's, a, it's an island of 25 houses that all have names, you know. Uh, being from a small town myself in Iceland, uh, it's everywhere. Like, uh, well, even in Reykjavik, everybody kind of, if you're in the search into a certain kind of things, you kind of know everybody that are into the same thing you are. So, it's 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 the Icelandic thing of everybody kind of knows each other a little bit. Uh, then everybody's a little bit related, you know. Then you have all that stuff too, you know. So, yeah. Uh, but you know, Flatte is a pretty unique place. Uh, I would have to say, though, when it comes to all of this stuff, it being uh, an extremely isolated place, of course, you know. Well. Um, you were born off of mainland Iceland to the south? Yeah. Well, I'm ironically, I'm from an island myself. I'm from Vestmanair, which is, uh, you know, the uh, uh, island 
island south of Iceland where they had the volcano eruption in 1973. And it, that's the reason why you had to move, is that true? Yeah, that's, so that's why I had to move because the lava was coming. Wow. So, so prior to that time, were your parents working in like the fishing industry? Well, yeah, my, my father, ironically, is actually a uh, fisherman. So was my grandfather, my great-grandfather. He can keep going in Westman Air. So, yeah, I'm actually from from a stock. Of, well, on my father's side, it's fishermen. On my mother's side, it's farmers. Very typical, actually, for uh, my age group in Iceland. I'm from an age group of uh, when the first people are actually moving to, like, you know, my parents and my grandparents moved to the city from the country. So, you know, most people, like, you know, a lot of people my age are, like, you know, from either farmers or, or fishermen. So when you were very young, did you think that you would grow up to also be a fisherman or a farmer? Well, ironically, uh, uh, when I was 13, uh, my father had a fishing boat. We were living in a fishing boat. It's called Grindavik. So during the summer vacation, which is three months at the time in Iceland, you know, he put me on the boat. Uh, ironically, that's also where I started cooking my first, you know, because I was, I was, when I was 14, I was also the cook. But uh, after doing it for three summers, I told my dad, like, this is definitely not <laughs> what I want to do with my life. Yeah, Breaking was, his heart. I was going to ask you, when you think about your childhood, often when I talk to people in the world of food, um, there's a person or an experience from their youth that, like, they look back on fondly as something that sort of set them down the course of either loving food or wanting to cook. Was there a particularly good cook in your life that you look back at and have fond memories about? Well, the irony is actually, uh, I was raised by my grandmother. Uh, and uh, the reason I started cooking originally was because my grandmother is the worst cook on earth. Oh, no. Bless her heart. Oh, no. So yeah. you, you, were, you were quite young then when you were started cooking. Yeah. It's just like, it was basically her generation. Everything, it was like you take mutton or fish, and it was just basically boiled, boiled to death and uh, served with boiled potatoes, and that's it, man. Uh, like, you didn't have a lot of vegetables and stuff like, stuff like that. Like, you, you couldn't get vegetables in the stores. You could get rutabaga or you could get uh, uh, potatoes. That was pretty much it. Salad didn't exist. You either eat you ate fish or you ate uh, uh, mutton or, or lamb. Uh, Sunday dinner would be uh, leg of lamb cooked to the consistency of a, of a shoe served with canned green beans and rhubarb sauce. Yeah, one rhubarb, th- yeah. yeah. One thing I never realized before I visited Iceland, and it makes a lot of sense, but there really aren't any animals that are native to Iceland. Like, being an atoll, which is formed from volcanic eruptions, it makes sense. But all of the lamb and, I guess, to a lesser extent, the beef livestock, that's all been brought there over the centuries, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the only, like, uh, native animal is, like, a, an arctic fox that, 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 that is here. That's it. But, yeah, everything else is brought over, including the humans. Yeah, that's true. And I was really impressed by the fact that, uh, at least it was my perception, that the livestock there and the lamb are pretty, like, unfucked with. It seems like most of it is, like, free-roaming, free-range type of livestock. Like, here on Flat there's, like, sheep everywhere roaming around the island. And and, uh, that's the thing, you know, well, the happier the animal is while it's alive, the better it's going to taste when it's dead. That's pretty much the... A pretty solid philosophy. Uh, yes. The irony uh, here in Iceland is that uh, I can't go and, and ask the farmer here for a lamb in flat day and offer a flat day lamb at the restaurant because with regulation, farm regulations, basically from the 50s, uh, all lamb gets slaughtered and put into the same pile of meat. So it just comes from... You know, uh, the central location in Reykjavik is like I, as a purveyor, uh, as a restaurant, I can't go to my purveyor and say, 
can you send me a lamb from Flatdale or can you get me a lamb from North Iceland or like, you know, from a different region? It's just like you just get lamb. And I think that's kind of ridiculous in the year 2021 that you can't do that. Oh, yeah, especially considering then you have to, I guess, ship it from Flatte on a boat to the mainland and then back to, to eat it. <laughs> yeah, but I still couldn't do it because it just everything goes into the big pile of uh, like, you know, the, the lamb pile in Reykjavik or, or wherever. And it's just a regula- it's regulations from the 60s that a uh, small amount of people probably profit from. So, God, they're not going to change it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I read something in your bio that I'm really curious about. Uh, you said that you had won some sort of like rock and roll Jeopardy. Oh yeah, um, when I was in high school, uh, I, I always failed for with attendance because I used to smoke a lot of drugs. And I would go to school every day and smoke pot or hash, and, and I'd never go to class. And I would just hang out in this basement they had and read, like, rock and roll magazines. And uh, then they just said, like, I was sitting there when they were uh, trying out people for the uh, rock and roll uh, uh, Jeopardy, so to speak. And I was like, oh, I'll try it out, you know. And <laughs> since I've been reading all these rock and roll magazines, I have a very deep knowledge of rock and roll. And the irony was that... Uh, it was all the colleges and high schools in Iceland were in this competition, and it was being held by uh, young people's uh, part of the Progressive Party, which is a political party here in Iceland. And at the time, the head of the Progressive Party was the Prime Minister of Iceland, Stengrimur Hermason. So, you know, I go through the motions and, you know, semifinals, finals, and then I end up winning the thing. So... The Prime Minister of Iceland hands me a ticket to Europe, so I just looked at that as my graduation papers, and I went back to school and went to Holland. How old were you at the time? I was like 16. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. And then from there, did you just continue to travel, or did you return back to Iceland? Yeah. Well, basically, I was uh, just traveling around Europe, partying, you know, being young and, and stupid and all that stuff, uh, came back to Iceland, uh, totally completely broke. Uh, my mom had moved to the United States, so I was pretty much homeless. So I got a job on a fishing boat and I, I lived on the fishing boat because I didn't have a place to go. And the fishing boat was in the harbor in Reykjavik. And, uh, I would just live in the fishing boat and, uh, you know, go party in Reykjavik in my leather pants and then go down uh, to the harbor at like 6 a.m. and, and, and uh, you know, jump from the fishing boat and go out to Faxaflow and kill fish. And um, it was like a fall. It was like really bad weather. Uh, it was, you know, not that much fishing and fishing and not fishing in shitty weather, not catching a lot. It's like the worst experience you can get in Iceland. So, you know, it really wasn't going on that hot. So I decided to go visit my mom in L.A. On I landed there, like, on Christmas Day. And it was, like, 25 degrees Celsius, sunshine and lollipops. So I just decided to look around and say, well, I think I'm just going to stay here. This is nice. Wow. So that's what I did. Yeah. I never came back to Iceland after that. <laughs> you know. So from there, I saw that you've, been in the American South a lot, and you cooked there, and you've taken a lot of photos there. Uh, how did you end up from California to the American South? Well, I've been living in LA for like three, four, or five years or something like that. Four years, I think it was. And you know, at that point, you know, I was just like working as a construction worker and doing this and that. Always liked cooking, liked art. Uh, ironically, I've gotten into two schools at the same time. I've gotten into the San Francisco Art Institute, and I've gotten into the Delgado Culinary Institute in uh, New Orleans. And I was like, well, you know what? If I learn how to be a chef, at least I'll, I can, like, you know, make money and like live on it. So I decided to go to New Orleans and learn how to uh, be a chef. And uh, one of the first things I did when I got to New Orleans was to drop out of the cooking school because you do not learn how to cook in a school. That's just like, it's like you do not, like you don't, you don't learn how to be a chef in a school. You have to do that in a restaurant. 
So I, I just went the other way. I just started working for really, really good chefs in New Orleans, you know, one after another. And that, that was basically my education. You know, of course, I read a lot and, and all that stuff. But, yeah. Wow. I've never been asked the question in the United States, so where did you go to school? I, I've never, like, in 30-some years, never been asked that question in the United States. The first thing they asked me in Iceland, ironically, is they love their paperwork here. But in the United States, nobody cares. They just care where you work and who you work for. How were you able to sort of link up with those chefs then? Um... Well, you start working for one, hmm. and you work for a year, and then... You go work for the next one, you know. Because once you work for one and you stay for a while, the other guys know you're pretty good, and they want you. They want you on the on on board, you know. So that's kind of how that went. So, you know? at the same time that you were doing this, were you also taking photos? No, 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 no. Uh, not at all. Uh, I was actually kind of on the way of like becoming like. You know, uh, a pretty successful person in New Orleans, and uh, if I wasn't such a drunk, I would have uh, probably, that probably would have happened, but I was a, like a raging alcoholic, and uh, ended up being actually uh, probably the biggest drunk in New Orleans, homeless and, and broke, and, and uh, so it's kind of like a world record, because if you're, if, if you're the worst drunk in New Orleans, that's like being the world champion. <laughs> So I kind of took that all the way, ended up actually on Skid Row in L.A., homeless, you know, uh, you know, a bum, and uh, went into a place, I ended up in L.A. after all that shit, and uh, uh, went into a place called the Midnight Mission, and I uh, kind of got my, you know, just stayed there for a year and a half, got my head out of my own ass, and I kind of just figured out what to do next. It actually was there that uh, I was living at the Midnight Mission that I went to film school, actually. I started in film school because I wanted to, uh, I'm a huge film fan and I wanted to, uh, you know, study film, become a film director and all that stuff. But uh, um, I discovered photography through that and uh, switched majors and went into photography, actually. And, uh, it just went all in kind of for, for a few years with photography. You know, it, it was just a great fit for me. And, I, you know, I still photo, photograph a lot, you know. Okay. I've and got, I, I really photography until 2006. I've got a lot of questions about a bunch of things you said. Because this is like, you recognize that this is a really, I know some of that stuff sounds very hard and difficult, but this is a fascinating trajectory. Like you've lived quite a life. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, if people don't know, and we alluded to it, there are months in Iceland where there's primarily sun for like upwards of twenty hours a day, and then there's winter, which is primarily dark. And right. talking to people there, they say like, "Oh, you got to keep occupied in the winter." A lot of people turn to like sport and swimming, and even like lifting and stuff like that to keep themselves healthy, but it'll also like keep their mind occupied. Also, people I talked to said a lot of people kind of suffer from alcoholism and drinking too much because it's dark all the time and it's kind of depressive. Uh, do you think that like your drinking was more of a product of being in the kitchen and part of food culture or like something tied to yeah. Iceland? I, I, I was pretty much an alcoholic from the gate. When I, I was an alcoholic by the time I was 14. So it, it just, it's in my family. Alcoholism is a, is a disease that has ravaged Iceland throughout the centuries. Uh, I would say probably no family in Iceland has been unaffected by it, you know. But it's very common in, like, you know, uh, Finland, in Scandinavia, generally. There's a lot of alcoholism, hmm. you know. It's, it, it, you know it, it is what it is. I, you know, I could have been born on Jamaica and wouldn't be, it wouldn't have mattered. I would have been the same drunk. Okay. Yeah, you know, I had nothing to do with, you know, where I am. I, I've stayed here in the winter time. Well, I, I hate I hated the winters when I was a kid. It was kind of funny because even growing up, people wanted ask me, "What do you want to do when you grow up?" And I said, "I want to get the hell out of Iceland." Wow. Now, which you, as soon as I could, actually. You mentioned being a fan of like rock music and heavy music, and being interested in photography and film. 
Who were some of your early influences like within the creative field that, um, you know, left a mark on you? Uh, when it comes to rock and roll, I would say, uh, well, you know, like Nick Cave in the back seats, stuff like that. I've always been really into film. Uh, I read a lot. I've always been really into art, uh, for, uh, it's funny because none of my heroes were chefs. You yeah. know, it was all like artists or musicians, etc. Um, and uh, filmmakers, you know, I love Ben Benders, his stuff. I'm a huge fan, Ingmar Bergman. You know, then I like, uh, you know, I, I like everything from Tarkovsky to uh, Star Wars, you know, everything in between, you know. So I listen to a lot of music. I read a lot, you know. I get, first, I go to art shows and museums all the time. I study art all the time, you know, and... Yeah, that's, you know, it's like cooking was just the thing that I, I discovered I was good at and I enjoyed doing, you know, as, as something to uh, to make a living, so to speak, you know. And uh, yeah, so pretty much, yeah, that's it. So how did you, and I say, I say the island name wrong like every time I say it, um, but how did you end up on Flate as a chef? Well, um... I had come to Iceland in 2016 uh, to teach a course at the uh, photography school here, and it was also the year I turned 50. So me and a bunch of my friends who had gathered like a 50th, 50th year a birthday party, and a bunch of people came. I was talking to a friend of mine, um, and I was saying, well, you know, I would love to come to Iceland next summer and cook. Yeah. I've been doing that a lot. I've been working like seasonally in isolated places. I've been doing it in the United States for years. And I think, well, I'll try ice fun. And she said, well, what, how do you, what do you think about flat day? And I said, well, that sounds crazy enough. I'll check that out. And that's what got the ball rolling. Uh, her uh, mother-in-law at the time was running Hotel Flat Day. So that, that was the connection. They hired me. I did the first summer. Uh, worked there 2018, 19. I didn't go. I didn't come here last year um, uh, because of COVID. I actually did a, did one of my old gigs in in the U.S. last summer, and then I came back this year. And this is also my last year working at Hotel Flappy. Okay, so the years that you're there in the summer, what are you doing? for the rest of the year and where are you in the world? I live in Los Angeles. Uh, rest of the year, I try to work as little as I humanly possibly can and kind of concentrate on my photography. Ah, and so then working at the restaurant hotel there, that will like, that help you float through the rest of the year? Well, I'm very well married. That ah. helps even more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm really curious, when you're on the island, I'd imagine the majority of your time is devoted, obviously, to cooking. Uh, when we first arrived, I was like, oh, there's one car here. And I saw you driving because when the boat came, I guess you guys are getting a shipment of supplies and you went down and picked it up and came back. Yeah, pick up the luggage for the, uh, for, the, uh, for the guests and stuff like that, yeah. Okay. Now, when you have downtime, let me try to stress to people, it's like a two-kilometer island maybe. Uh, again, you know, no stores, nothing like that, uh, just homes and the hotel. And it's absolutely beautiful and peaceful, and it's a place I recommend going. But I would imagine if you don't keep occupied, maybe you go crazy. So in your downtime, what do you do? Well, ironically, uh, we've been so busy this summer that I really haven't had any downtime. It's basically I work and I sleep pretty much every day. Ah, okay. I work over 320 uh, hours every month while, while I'm here on Friday. Wow, so every day? Yeah, every day. Uh, I did actually, it used to be a little slower back in like 2018 and 19, so I actually just photographed. I just walk around and photograph. And I, you know, I have no problem just walking in somewhere, laying down in a nice spot and doing nothing for a couple of hours. The point of Atlante, which actually freaks a lot of people out in, in today's world, is you come here to do nothing. 
that's actually the point of it. And for the modern man to do that, it's it's very challenging because you know there's no you know you, you don't come here to go like parachuting or kayaking or any of that shit. You just you come here, you just relax, and you literally maybe read a book or do nothing. That's kind of the point. It takes a lot of people like a hard, you know, they, they have a hard time with it, but once they figure it out, it's awesome. Mm. It's, it's just good for us as humans to do nothing once in a while. Just enjoy, just be, you know. Yeah. You know, oh, I have, I have to have something to distract me for like, you know, or my life's over. It's like, no, just chill out, man. You know, stare into the void. <laughs> do a lot of good places stare into the void. When we ate there, um, the food was so fresh and it was so good. And I'm curious about sourcing because it looks like you maybe have a garden there. Um, are you are you getting your seafood like right there from the island or is that also coming in? All comes from the fjord. Uh, it's fresh, fresh, fresh. I get, I have a fish guy in all this week that sends me fish that is so good that he probably has destroyed fish for the rest of my life, the bastard. <laughs> so good. And he just calls me. I got kind of fish and that kind of fish today. I'm just like, well, anything he says me is just top notch. Mussels come straight up from Sticky Tolmer. Uh, the lumpfish carrier comes from Flatbed. Uh, I do a lot of foraging on the island. You know, that's what I use a lot. I use a lot of seaweeds, plants, and stuff like that to grow here in my food. You know? You mentioned the mussels. I'm like looking this up right now because I can never remember the name. Uh, so uh, we, my partner Leslie and I, we stayed in Sticky Schwammer at a at a friend's house. And I'm sorry that my Icelandic is so bad, but uh, Svar Pakhusid, do you know that restaurant? Yeah. Oh shit! The mussels are so good there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so good. Um, but. What I think is interesting with food trends is that, well, first of all, your food is also beautifully presented. And I'm like not trying to be corny here, but we, one of the things we got was the like caviar roe appetizer and you had made it with this foam and it was just, it was honestly beautiful looking. And we were so impressed by that. But what's your what you're making there and what I found to be true of a lot of Icelandic food is like what would traditionally be considered, and this is not disrespectful, but almost like peasant food, almost like you're seeing this globally, right? A return to food that once was not like so sexy and cool, right? Either bits that are tougher to eat that people had to hone a craft to make really delicious or like right there in Iceland, like sheep's head. For a lot of people in the States, you could serve as sheep's head and you're like, oh, what the hell is this? But there's a return to that, I'm noticing globally. And you could have taken what you were doing there in, in, in Flate and like placed that in the highest end restaurant in New York City and charged a freaking hundred bucks plus a meal. Well, yeah, um one thing you learn when you uh, uh, cook in New Orleans is that your food is going to have flavor. And another thing you learn in New Orleans is that you feed you feed people. You actually feed people. You don't feed their brain or like you know you know I'm not there to be intellectual superior to you as a person with a twelve course twister food that doesn't really leave anything except emptiness and, and disappointment. Uh, my food is layered flavors uh, from the earth, best fresh ingredients, technique, of course. Uh, it's pretty simple and really complex at the same time, but it's it's not snobbish at all. Number one, two, and three. It's My food is not snobbish. It's, it's just plain, plain and honest. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Ironically, like what you're saying, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I, my background is really high end dining uh, in New Orleans, like the best restaurants, both in New Orleans and LA. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, which I think right now is the most exciting food city on planet Earth. 
And what's going on in Los Angeles, what is exciting and, and creative is the underground and the street food scene. Hmm. I never, hardly ever go to Michelin star restaurants or high-end dining restaurants, but I can take you to every taco stand that's worth anything in Los Angeles or East LA where people are cooking out of their house or making ramen in the backyards and stuff like that. That, and that's, and like I said, it's all poor people food and peasant food. Yeah. I've noticed, I've noticed that in New York, that, that exact sort of almost like phenomenon that you're talking about in LA Mm. has increased because of the pandemic. Like there's so many cooks. Pandemic just basically cut the fat and the bullshit away from all of it and just kind of made it real. Uh, Restaurants are now having the hardest time uh, staffing because people, because it's like, well, why should I go work in a restaurant for $12 an hour in a city where like, you know, minimum rent is 2,500 for a one bedroom, you know, get paid shit bad hours when I can just make tacos and sell them on the streets and make more money and be my own boss and, me all, and have my own creative spirit doing it. So, you know, and a lot of people who have been in the restaurant industry are just like after the pandemic, they're going like, they're getting jobs in uh, uh, supermarkets and, and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, I I, can't, I don't have to like, you know, work sucky hours and, and like burn myself and hurt myself and, and work all weekends and, and I can see my kids, you know. Restaurant industry is one of the most brutal industries in the world. You know, it's shitty hours and bad pay. Yeah, and even for a, a consumer, I'm a consumer. It's yeah. it's a it's a good scenario to have these new food options and like you have direct access to the person cooking. There were so many people in New York in the pandemic here that were cooking out of their kitchens and doing like home delivery or pickup right from their kitchens. It's like I can come shake the hand of the person who made this, get it cheaper, get it really good, get it authentic. Yeah, it's been, I don't know. I'm not trying to say this pandemic is good, but that food has kind of been exciting. Yeah, it really has. And it really has, like, you know, like when I go back, this is literally like my last, last, with its specialness was my last restaurant job. And I did it for a while because of the uniqueness of the place. That's why I came back and, and they let me do what I wanted to do, etc. But I'm not going to work in a restaurant again. I, I might go into street food. I'm doing parties, uh, you know, like dinner parties at people's houses in LA and stuff like that. Getting paid more than I do. Like I have to work half the amount of time and getting more money than working in a restaurant. So why work in a restaurant, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I'm still cooking good stuff. I basically like, you know, I love cooking. Like, I don't think I've done better food in my life than I'm doing on Flotte this summer. I'm like hitting it on all cylinders right now and loving it, you know. And I'm just going to take a break and like do some art for a while now, you know, and then go back to cooking, you know. And uh, yeah, it was, there's actually a couple of people are, are in doing a book, you know, uh, doing a, a cookbook with me. So I'll, I'll explore that. See what happens. Who the hell knows what happens next? All yeah. I know is after all this work this summer, I'm going to take some time off and make some art, man. One of the things that I do because of this podcast is like I'm constantly uh, observing and I'm aware of things. So when we had gotten there, I was like the vantage point of our table is I could see back into the kitchen and I could see you and you're a big presence and you had the bandana. But the thing I noticed the most was like, as soon as food came out, like the look on people's faces, they just kind of pop and brighten up and they're like, whoa. And it's the kind of thing where even myself, I'm guilty of like taking out my camera, like this looks amazing. Um, so the the joy that you're bringing people there is is noticeable. I'm curious about if somebody were to visit Iceland to fully get an Icelandic experience and to get the culture, what do they have to eat before they leave? Oh, that's very simple. You go to the hot dog stand in Reykjavik. <laughs> See, I had never would have thought that, but I read that before we went. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's, it's always my first thought, man. There's um a cool burger joint, too, that was run by a guy, I guess somehow tied to, like, the the music scene there. Um, 
God, I wish I remembered the name of it. Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to hit you up about that later, but okay. So outside of Iceland, then of the places you've been, what do you most enjoy cooking? Well, I say I, I, I cook soul food. And how would you yeah, define that? Uh, that's actually the name of my uh, of my little like food company in uh, uh, I have in LA. It's Soul Food, but it's S O with a dot L, like the Icelandic word "sun." Mm. It's a play on words, but uh, Soul Food is what I what I uh, what I like cooking. But in, in a way, actually, that's uh, kind of what I do in flat is just with a little uh, fancier flair. You know, it's Soul Food's all about. Layered flavors, uh, uh, making people happy. Like when I, you know, I worked in all the best restaurants in New Orleans, right? You know, really high-end, fine dining, right? But I learned just as much from the ladies in in that worked with me from from the from the hood, you know, uh, from the mamas. I, I, you know, my chicken and apple is fucking awesome. Dude. <laughs> uh, Gumbo, I love doing gumbo. I love doing just like layered, flavorful food that is unpretentious, honest, and just makes people happy, man. You know, like my job is not to challenge you intellectually. It's to just have you eat a lot of food and, and make your tummy happy, man. That's it. It's, it's, it's not rocket science, man. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. Well... I'm excited about the fact that you'll be back in L.A. I know you might not be getting back into food right away because you talked about getting into some of your artistic projects. But I will be following along with your story because if you ever are starting up some street food or something like that, I will be in L.A. to try it. Because, again, like I can't under, understate like what a positive experience we had in Flatite completely unexpectedly. Like, And as soon as I left, I was like... I was looking you up and I'm like, what, where are the articles about this guy? This is quite literally a place that sort of feels like the end of the world. If you look at like off the North part of the Island where you're just looking out into ocean, like you can't see the West fjords. You can't see sticky on the other side. It's uh, this place. Like this is one of the most isolated uh, uh, places in Iceland. And I can't stress how complicated it can be <laughs> to run a restaurant on this, on this spot, man. You know, it's, it makes everything like, Every a challenge that would be in the city wouldn't be a challenge. It's a challenge in this joint, you yeah, know, you, because you, like where we are, you know, uh, most every other places, you know, you get you get your uh, you get your food delivered like into your kitchen. Here, I have to take a car to the to the harbor, go into a container, grab it out, hope it's there. Because if it's not there, it's, I can't. I, there's I can't go to the store and get it. You know, this is actually. <laughs> We used to do a garden on the island, and uh, uh, one summer uh, it was really cold, and the gar- everything died, and then the sheep got in and ate everything that wasn't dead. So that's actually how I started foraging, because I just grabbed an old dude from the village and said, hey, walk me around the island, show me what you guys used to eat back in the day so you guys wouldn't die, you know? So I started foraging all, all the seaweeds and stuff. Like, the lumpfish uh, dish like, you had, it's lumpfish from Plattec, Uh Served on a seaweed chip from Flatte uh, with a uh, lovage oil from Flatte. So everything on that dish was actually from Flatte. Yeah. Every single component was from the island that you ate on that dish. And you even have to conserve water there as well, right? Well, the water gets delivered with the boat. Oh, okay. Yeah, what it gets here. There's a big tank, and they, uh, every time the boat pulls up, it uh, plugs in a big, you know, uh, a hose, and it pumps, pumps the water. Yeah. So. When will the season be over for you? In just a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, I'm leaving uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm I'm going back. I'm uh, I, I'm gonna take take actually. As much as I love being on flat day, but when you're stuck here for four months, you can't see any other parts of Iceland. So actually. Uh, I'm gonna take go on the ring road. I'm gonna meet a bunch of artists, and I got a meeting with a museum that might show me, you know. So you know, I'm, I gotta take my chef hat off for a little bit and put my art hat on, and uh, deal and do you know do a little bit of that, which is great. But uh, actually, there's also a possibility that uh, next summer I will come back to Iceland and do a tour. You know, it's an idea I had uh, that. 
instead of cooking a flat day, I'll actually go around Iceland like a musician and do a gig in, 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 a, in a bunch of towns. I already got about eight, people, eight places signed up, signed up for Iceland, uh, around Iceland to do that. Oh, that's awesome. I'm trying to do like, you know, I'm doing this thing just to like have fun with life, man, you know? So I'm just trying to find a ways to, it's not about money. It's just about enjoyment and, and expression and, you know, but you know, money, of course, because I was asked, asked once, uh, this question, what's the primary uh, philosophy behind your cooking? I said to get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of at so that actually, you know? Well, that, that's a brilliant idea. Do, do you already think ahead to like, well, in the western part of Iceland, I can get this type of food, and so that's what I'll cook, or you're just, just thinking of locations right now? Yeah. With my food, with the, with the local ingredients. Cool. And my food is basically, it's, it's just an expression of me as an individual. I'm from Iceland. I learned how to cook in New Orleans, lived there for 16 years. And now I live in LA and, and like all about street food and, and like, you know, that stuff. So it's like my food is just an expression of all that. You kind of get a kind of crazy, like you, you get kind of like get a crazy bumble when, when my food comes out. Do you feel a connection to Icelandic roots? And when I say that, I say that because a lot of people I met had like a really strong understanding of almost like, uh, like Viking heritage and a knowledge of sagas and stories. Do you feel a strong connection to like the history of Iceland? I know the history and all that stuff, you know, just like I know history of other countries and stuff like that. History is what history is. Now I feel connection to the land and to the people, mm. not to the history so much, you know? Yeah. It's like, Let's face it, really, like for 800 years, we lived in huts and we were like, just like ruled by the Danes and the Norwegian and they treated, treated us like shit. So, you know, not too much to be proud of in those. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we were badass Vikings at one point that like fought so badly uh, uh, amongst them, each other that we lost our independence, you know, so yeah, whoop de day, you know. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, what I'm actually also, well, what I'm proud of is, uh, well, like actually when he, like, when it comes to it, it's the art. The art is really what is the backbone of Iceland is the art and the literature. And just think about it. There's no place with 320,000 people living that has produced this much high quality art on earth as Iceland has. It's insane how creative we are. It's kind of, you know, in terms of music, literature, uh, regular arts, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I had never even realized, like, the film scene in Iceland until I was there. Like, how much film is being made there? How many movies? Films. Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. do, do we're, you attribute... We're insanely people. That's, that's, that's what I love about Iceland more than anything. It's, it's the land and how creative we are as, as people. Would you attribute that to, like, long winter days because you have the time to focus? It has a lot to do with that, actually. Yeah. You know, you're stuck inside, and you, you kind of got to figure out something to do. You know, so it, it, that that actually is a huge part of it. You're stuck inside. Yeah. 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 All right. So, if people listen to this conversation and they want to find out about your next venture, we mentioned a couple things. They want to see your photography. Where are the different places that we can send people as a follow up to this? Well, of course, Instagram is the uh, is the quick way. You know. Uh, my handle for uh, photography is Amriku Geri, and my handle for food is Kakageri. And then, of course, when I go back to LA and I start launching Soul Food, it's going to be Soul Food. But I also have a couple of websites. I have one for photography and one for cooking. Both need updates, seriously. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's uh, freakerhelkerson.com for photography and uh, the for cooking is Chef Freaker Helkerson. But like I said, like with everything, everything being immediate is that Instagram is, you know, Facebook is where everything is going on, really, because you do something, you put it online. It's like nobody really like, oh, I'm, I got 
put this on my website right away. You just like, no, I'll just throw it on Instagram and everybody can see it, you know. Well, I will yeah. probably people are going to wonder how to spell that, so I will link directly to your social media accounts in whatever player people are listening to right now so they could have instant access to that. Uh, well, I want to thank you for two things. One, for the incredible meal that we had over there, and then two, for giving me your time today. It's honestly an honor to share your story. I fully expected to see you plastered in like all of the major food magazines, like food and wine and munchies and all this stuff. Um, and I do still expect that in the future because what you're doing is really exciting. And I'm excited to see what happens in the future here in the States. So uh, thanks so much for doing this. Well, this is a pleasure, and, and uh, uh, I'm happy you came to Flatte, and I made your little tummy happy, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode 243 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. It was so cool to be able to connect with uh, Fridgear because he's on Flatte. It's this tiny island, and we had a strong signal, and the sound sounded good, so I was super happy about that. And man, what a treat and an honor to get to share his story. He told me about someone else who's working on something to share his story. I won't spoil it, uh, but there will be some cool information coming out about him in the future. And like we talked about, you can follow along online to see his photography or to learn where he may be chefing up some stuff in the future. Really recommend that you check him out. And if he's in a city that you're in, go try his food because it's something really special. Okay, got some stuff here from the States and New York coming out, and then hopefully a few more things from Iceland. So we are firing on all cylinders. For now, I'm going to sign off and say, please take care of each other, Voyagers. I will catch you all very, very soon. <laughs>